0: Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. My name's Georgia and I'm one of the leaders here on team here at One Hope. And as it's the first weekend of the school holidays here in Victoria, I would love to start by giving a very big shout out to all the teachers out there, the parents of school aged children, and all the teenagers and kids who have just finished another term of home learning. You did it team. Well done and we've certainly been praying for you all and we want you to know that we think you are absolutely extraordinary and um, so welcome to the school holidays. I know if there was a room full of people here you would all be saying a big amen. Now if you've tuned in last week for, for Matt's message, um, the first message of this series called Currents Faith and Culture, Matt explained that we'll be doing something a little bit different than our usual style by responding to the main themes of the book of Judges rather than focusing on the specific stories that lie within. And today I want to focus specifically on the next generation of Israelites. Those that came after Joshua, who inherited the land of Canaan and who got so easily ensnared in pagan values and quite frankly, detestable rituals and the culture of the Canaanites. And I have to say this generation had Every good intention of claiming what God had given into their hands. But they took the God out of their good intentions, which led to compromise. And this is where I'm heading today. That when you take the God out of your intentions, you get lost. Allowing the currents of culture to pull your heart away from him. You see, our hearts are hardwired to worship. And if we take a look at the Oxford definition of hardwire, it says to make a permanent feature in a computer by means of permanently connected circuits so that it cannot be altered by software. It says to make a pattern of behaviour or belief standard or instinctive. There's absolutely nothing we can do to change the hardwiring of our hearts. Our hearts need to follow something, to be enthralled by something, because our hearts were designed by God to worship Him. And as Christians, we believe that at the beginning of human creation, in the Garden of Eden, God wanted our wills, but sin entered the entered the world and our hearts turned away from him. The problem this leaves us with is that if we don't worship God, we don't worship nothing, we worship anything and we fall short of the life that God has for us as exampled by the Israelites in judges as they fell into the trap of pagan worship. I want to start today by opening our Bibles to Judges chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It'll also be on your screens. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. It was not just the next generation that failed, but centuries of generations after them, as we witness a pattern of God's people forgetting about his faithfulness to step in and save them time and time again. We can all learn many things from the Israelites' mistakes and judges when we consider the culture that we live in today. But I also want to speak for a moment to the Gen Zs out there, but with a message that's for all of us. So please, everybody, stay with me. To clarify, Gen Zs aren't currently our children. They're Generation Alpha. Gen Zs are those born between 1995 up to 2009, so our 12-year-olds to our 26-year-olds, which to the year is currently our youth ministry and our young adults ministry. There are 4.5 million Gen Zs in Australia. Clearly, they are the future of our country, our government and even the future of this church. Gen Zs, let's take a look at what culture you have been or are being raised in. Stats tell us that you'll engage longer in formal education than the generations before you, that you've lived much of your life indoors and on screens. You are tech-savvy multitaskers. I definitely don't fit into this generation. (laughs) And you're up-aging, meaning that adolescence is occurring earlier than those who've gone before you. Authors Jonathan Hake and Greg Lukanoff shared their opinion on how some of our Zen Jeds were or are being raised in their controversial book called The Coding or the, sorry, the Coddling of the American Mind, stating that parents are, in their words, preparing the road for the child rather than preparing the child for the road explaining that our Gen Zs have predominantly been raised in risk-free environments, but are more anxious than ever. I can't help but sense a parallel with these next generation Israelites who inherited the promised land, but knew nothing of the vivid recollections of the miracles and the judgments of the wilderness, of the first people of the land, who were devoted to faith, Duty and purity. As the next generation that the world ha- that the has the world at their fingertips but carries the weight of the world on their shoulders, I believe that society and identity narratives currently at play in our culture today are selling not only us, but especially our young people, myths that are all too easily captivating our hearts. So why are we so easily fooled? Well, I believe that these narratives originated in biblical truths. They're so close to the truth. We get sucked in because they're not actually completely wrong. The society narrative speaks to individuals being free to choose their own life path. And the identity narrative is all about finding fulfillment in our dreams and our desires. That sounds reasonable, right? Well, these narratives work because they meet the cries of the human heart. Recognition, respect, success, belonging, freedom. None of these are bad things except for when we take God out of their equation. And as a result, we lose sight of His plan and what His calling is for us, just like the Israelites did. In 2019, when I was working part-time at Covenant College, the Dean of Ministry Development and Lecturer in Pastoral Ministry at the RTC, Murray Capel, came and delivered a keynote to our staff on three myths that society is selling to our young people around what it means to live a life of fulfilment. And I'd love to share these points with you today, but unpack them with these cultural currents in mind in light of our hearts being hijacked away from biblical truth. The first myth that society sells to our young people is that to achieve fulfillment, you must live your dream. The world is full of messages that you can be whatever you want to be. Disney is great at selling us these stories. Look no further than Cinderella, who went from rags to riches after transforming her look to captivate the heart of a prince and live happily ever after. I believe the live your dream message in light of self-fulfillment is actually a cruel one because it's simply not true. Many people spend a lifetime chasing after dreams only to find emptiness in its accomplishment. How many elite sports people tell of their struggle to adjust to life after performance or realise after reaching the top that it wasn't quite as fulfilling as they had expected. Others never quite make it to their dreams and resign themselves to to being failures when this is simply not true. Fulfillment only through living your dream also portrays the message that you didn't dream big enough or work hard enough if you don't make it and if you don't get there. Living your dream is the heart's cry for the recognition to be special, which is why we get tricked into idolising the dream. Because this current is not too far from biblical truth. After all, the gospel says we are special, chosen, Genesis 5 says that when God created mankind, He made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and He blessed them. Not only did God make you in His image, He loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from our pain. And... Despite losing our way time and time again, just like the Israelites had to learn time and time again, God is a God who saves. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you need to know that you're special, can I encourage you, forget looking to your friends, or your likes on social media, or getting blindsided by the myth of how content your dream will make you. We need to look no further than to focus on Jesus. We can say goodbye to the shallow fulfilment of this world when we rest in the deep security, joy and hope that His salvation provides us, whether our dreams work out or whether they don't. God smashes our dreams and replaces it with something even better. So what's the biblical answer to the current of live your dream? It's that you can be whoever God wants you to be. You can live God's story, which is far better. And I'm so passionate that our young people know this. He will smash your dreams and give you a more abundant life than you could ever have hoped to live in your own strength. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Israelites lost sight of this. And when we live our lives in a manner that gives God glory, when we set our hearts to worship Him and not our dreams, we can live knowing that His power is at work in us. And that is never boring. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21 says, "'Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good "'for doing His will, and may He work in us "'what is pleasing to Him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. The second myth that society sells to our young people is to be yourself. What's right is what's right for you. And the Disney movie, Milan, sums up this narrative with the classic song, Reflection, blasting from the soundtrack, the lyrics including lines such as, when will my reflection show who I am inside. But the irony of this myth is that while everyone jumps on board with the idea that we need to be ourselves and that what others think of us doesn't matter, we're busy posting our best selves on Facebook and social media, only the side that we want everyone to see. And yes, be yourself is so close to the truth. God wants you to be who He created you to be, that's for sure. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. Be, being yourself is the heart's cry for true identity. But we can't be ourselves by ourselves. I love the message paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, For for who do you know that really knows you, knows your heart? And even if they did, is there anything they would discover in you that you could take credit for? Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? You already have all you need. When we take the God out of this good intention to be ourselves, we can go oh so wrong and look for identity in all the wrong places. When the Bible tells us we've got all that we need to know who we truly are. So what's the biblical answer to the cultural call to be yourself? It's to be defined by whose you are, not who you are. You are a child of God. We are His. You can try to find fulfilment in being yourself, but who you are on your own is flawed. And that's true for every single one of us. We are all sinners, but we are sinners saved by grace. What's best for you is what Jesus did for you on that cross. Our identity is defined by his unconditional love and grace through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. He grants us worth beyond measure and you'd be wise not to lose sight of that today. And the last myth society tells to our young people, uh, to all of us, I would suggest, is that you have a right to be happy. Now, this may really test some of you as it has me. After all, God does want us to be happy, right? Well, Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, to the person who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. The problem here in our Western privilege is what we think is our right and also what we believe makes us happy. We need not look any further than Disney's Frozen soundtrack that children all across the globe will know word for word, convincing us that happiness comes from freedom. How close to God's word is this one? This is why it's one of the strongest cultural currents to get swept away in. After all, the Bible is filled with great scriptures about freedom But what kind of freedom does Frozen portray will make us happy? Well, here are some lyrics for the infamous song, Let It Go, and I apologise, I am not going to sing it for you, Um, but here's what it says. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. The current sweeping us away from God's truth here is that being happy hinges on there being no wrong, that we don't need rules and that limitations are only obstacles that stand in our way for self-gratification. No right and no wrong equals no boundaries, yes? But does this really bring about happiness? There's an infamous playground story that goes like this. A schoolyard had built a nice fence to create a boundary between the playground and the road. During PE and recess, kids would play all over the place, congregating near different areas of the fence. However, a new train of thought transpired and soon they decided to take down the fence and give the children a sense of freedom. Instead of feeling walled in, they could feel free but the result stunned the school staff. Instead of roaming further and wider as the space allowed, the school students stayed closer to the playground in the middle and were more crowded than before. Now, why is this? Because they didn't know how far they could go. There was no longer a line. Their boundaries were no longer clear, but vague. And without the boundary, they no longer felt safe. The kids liked the boundary. The boundary is what had provided their freedom. Parent advisor, author and consultant, Janet Lansbury says, Children raised with firm, consistent boundaries are insecure and world-weary. Burdened with too many decisions and too much power, They miss out on the joyful freedom every child deserves. The bottom line is this. You can enjoy freedom when you know what the boundaries are. But this doesn't just apply to children. What about the boundaries for us as adults? I might upset a few people here, but I'm a little bit sick of hearing from Christians that timeless biblical principles are outdated. Just like the Israelites did, it's easy to justify our compromises in the context of culture, isn't it? But the truth is, if we're not worshipping God, we're enslaved to what we worship. Talking about sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, I have the right to do anything you say, But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but, Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. You see, having free will is so different from being free in Christ. The difference is in what or who we worship, this is what informs our choices. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. The current of you have a right to be happy is the heart's cry for happiness and freedom. But true freedom is found when we follow God's life for us. Christ came to set us free, free from sin and death, free to be people of integrity and generosity, free to love others because we are secure in Jesus's love for us. What's the biblical answer? to the strong current of having a right to be happy. It's that we can find joy in Christ. Deep joy and satisfaction comes from our salvation. Psalm chapter 16 verses eight and nine say, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure. Church, God alone can truly satisfy our hearts if we dare to turn away from what doesn't serve us and give our hearts over to Him. Our heart was designed by God to worship Him. And I'm here to challenge us today. Has your heart been hijacked? And has our worship been stolen from the one who will stop at nothing to save us from ourselves? It's because of Jesus' sacrifice for us that we don't have to forget God's faithfulness like the Israelites did and be led astray. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we must remember this, We must remember to be set apart for him. This is what sets us free. To emphasise the point of getting pulled away by the currents, at the end of the book of Judges, we see a boy raised in accordance with the Nazarite vows. He doesn't cut his hair, drink wine or touch anything dead, which means he doesn't eat meat. When God's people saw Samson's unique lifestyle, it was a reminder to them that they too were called to be set apart and to live differently from the ungodly currents of the culture that had so easily absorbed them. In time, however, as we know the story goes, Samson also faltered in his attraction to the Philistine culture. And cutting his hair not only made him lose his strength, it symbolised his lost distinctiveness as he compromised with the very pagan culture he was called to confront. Like Samson, time and time again, the Israelites compromised, worshipping false gods and failing to live out their distinctiveness as people set apart for God's glory. Unfortunately, many of us Christians repeat the Israelites' mistakes and jeopardise God's mission. Instead of confronting the sinful aspects of our postmodern culture, we often compromise our values to fit in with a selfish and materialistic world, all in the name of comfort and fulfilment. And when people don't, who don't yet have a relationship with God see us adopting these sinful values, they become cynical about the God that we are supposed to represent. As God's people today, we are called to confront the ungodliness of this world. We must influence today the front lines where God's values and secular values clash but we can only do this with our hearts set on Him. The remarkable thing about the book of Judges is that no matter how far the Israelites moved away from God, no matter how wrong they went, God was always willing to save them and bring them back to Him. And He offers, thankfully, that same gift to us. Ephesians 2 Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. If our hearts are hardwired to worship something, let's commit to worshipping a God who saves Setting our hearts on him not only influences the trajectory of our own lives, but it also influences the next generation. And as I come into land, let's go back. I'd like to take you back to the beginning. Judges chapter 2 verse 10, where it's evident that it wasn't just the next generation who went astray. It was a team effort with the generation who'd gone before them. Verse 10 says, "After that whole generation of Joshua had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither their Lord nor what He had done for Israel." How is it that they did not know the Lord? It's so easy to judge in hindsight, isn't it? Tisk, tisk, the next generation, they got swept away in the current. But what about the roles? of those who had gone before them. Let's never be the ones who allow those who are coming after us to forget the goodness of our God. We need to live out the gospel before those who are following behind us. Parents, when we fail, our kids need to see what humility looks like and what forgiveness looks like. And when we suffer, we we need them to see what perseverance looks like. And when they fail, they need to see what justice looks like and mercy and grace. Apply the Bible to their lives in as many ways as you can. Help them to run to God when they're hurting. Robbie, our young adults pastor and head of our production team, shared such a sweet story with us during the week. Robbie and Jess have just moved into a new neighbourhood And their little girl, Poppy, fell over and scraped her knee when she was out with the neighbour's kids. Although Poppy was hurt, she didn't run for mum and dad. Instead, the mum of her new friends approached her to offer help. And Poppy said to her with absolute certainty, please, when you say your prayers tonight together before you have dinner, you must ask God to heal my knee because only God can make me better. So please, please will you pray for me before you have dinner at your place tonight? Bless her, because this is a plea of a little girl with not a doubt in the world that everybody says grace, because she's been taught to focus her heart on God and is still young enough not to realise that her culture isn't quite right there with her. She'll be an influencer for sure, mark my words. I'm not talking about social media. I'm talking about being a heavyweight in God's kingdom. I know she will be because I can see the example being lived out before her with her parents who worship a saving God. In her time of of need, she did not forget. She knows who her healer is and who holds her heart. So church likewise, let's be people who are signposts for Jesus, with hearts attuned to Him, willing to live lives that are set apart, that are prepared to be countercultural, in order to bring God all the glory. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, We thank You so much that You are a God that saves. And no matter how far we stray, no matter what our hearts are focused on, when we are not focused on You and our lives go in a way we just never imagined and we cry out to You, God, I thank You that You are a God that comes and saves. You did it for the Israelites. And You sent Your Son, Jesus, Lord, to save us. You are still a God that saves right now. So Father God, I thank You so much that we can run to You. Please forgive us, Lord, when our hearts have not focused on You. Thank You that we can turn our hearts back to You. And I pray that You will give us the strength to do that for us today.